Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Dottery, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here is your host. Good morning. Welcome to Burning Hearts, a Bible study for atheists, agnostics, unbelievers, people of all faiths and people of no faith, and would like to join me for uh, a little study of the Bible. Atheists, agnostics, and unbelievers should know the Bible. You just can't be ignorant of it. You need to know um, what you're against, if you like. Now, we've been looking at um, images of God in the Bible, and we will take up that same message again this week. Uh, what does God look like? Now, primarily for Christians, uh, we are saying, if you want to know what God looks like, then look at the man Jesus Christ, that he was the Word made flesh. He was the Son of God take flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and that what he had to say and teach us about God is what God is really like. Off the coast of Europe, there's a group of islands called the Jersey Islands. And hundreds, well over a hundred years ago, the great uh, French writer Victor Hugo uh, lived on one of these Channel Island of uh, Jersey. And he was in exile from his beloved France. Now, on one of the cliffs uh, overlooking the ocean, there's an old moss-covered bench, and well over a hundred years ago, the great French writer Victor Hugo used to climb up onto this cliff and sit on this bench and stare into the ocean for, oh, about an hour every day, day after day after day. And generally at the end of his hour, uh, he would stand up, pick up a pebble from the cliff top, sometimes a big one, sometimes a small one, and he would fling it out into the ocean. And he seemed to be watching it um, sink into the ocean uh, with a kind of a joy or peace on his heart. Now, in the area there were some children, and the children, um, you know what they're like, they can be very curious, and they're not as inhibited or retarded as we adults are. And one of the children went up to Mr. Hugo and said to him, Mr. Hugo, why are you throwing those stones into the sea? And the great writer smiled and he said, I'm not throwing stones into the sea, I am throwing self-pity into the sea. Now in this symbolic uh, gesture, there's a powerful lesson for, for us today. He said, I'm throwing self-pity into the sea. Many of us, um, despite the tremendous advantages we have as American citizens, uh, we're complainers. You know, how often does the doctor here in the privacy of his office, doctor, I'm not well, uh, doctor, I'm all on edge, uh, doctor, I can't cope. And it's, it's something that happens. We, um, I don't know why we're like this, but we, we are, you know, complainers, you know. And, 
And the person who's always feeling sorry for themselves are suffering from the disastrous effects of self-pity. And that's sad, because uh, we are the children of God. And we were meant to walk with uh, our feet on the ground, our head in the air, so that we could listen to God, who loves us with an everlasting love. Now, going back uh, for a moment to self-pity, um, it's, it's a disease, a spiritual disease. And it very often can, can start right in our own homes, you know, where perhaps you were compared to a brother or a sister and told that you weren't as smart or that you weren't as intelligent or you weren't as pretty or whatever that uh, your parents might have said to you. And then very often this is continued by the uh, school system, you know, how come you're not as smart as your brother or how come you're not as intelligent as your sister? And then they grade us, you know. Now, there's something wrong with all this, I think. It, it just gives us a sense of uh, inferiority. See, the truth of the matter is, uh, each one of us is absolutely unique. Uh, you are not a mistake. You came out from the mind of the all-holy God. And there's nobody else but you. In the Bible, when Jesus said, Judge not, and you shall not be judged, he meant that to apply to all types of judging. Not to judge yourself better than anybody else, not to judge yourself worse than anybody else. Um, you are God's child. Let me give you um, a story. Years and years and years ago, like something like 20, oh, almost 30 years ago, I picked up a book. And, you know, I can't even remember the, the uh, title of the book, but the author was a man named Leo Tressy. And um, he talked about this passage just crawled off the page into my mind. I used to have a photographic memory. He talked about a woman looking through a catalogue of dress patterns. This is back in the time when women made dresses themselves. And she's looking through the catalogue of dress patterns and she comes across a pattern that she really likes and then she says to herself, that's the dress I'd like to make. This would really look good on me. Or think of a man looking through house plans and he comes across a house plan and he said, that's the house I'd really, really like to build. Now, in his divine mind, um, God doesn't have to uh, think things over, but if you apply this image to God, um, imagine God, if you like, and we, we really can't, but imagine God, uh, in your mind anyway, sitting on a great throne, and he's looking at this huge uh, screen, and, uh, and as he's looking at the screen, billions and billions and billions of faces uh, are flashing on the screen uh, at the speed of summer lightning. Uh, or as Carl Sagan used to say, billions and billions. Well, anyway, all these faces are flying across the, the screen at, at awesome speed. And all of a sudden, God said, stop, stop, stop right there. Back up a little bit. And all of a sudden, your face comes on the screen. And God says to himself, in the very ecstasy of his love, he said, that is the soul I want to create. And so you came into being, and nobody else would do but you. So no matter what you were told as a child or by your teachers or by the government or anybody else, 
the fact is uh, you were designed by the All-Holy God and you came out from the mind of the All-Holy God. The first book of the Bible is called uh, Genesis and again Genesis means beginnings. And the first chapter of Genesis uh, was in all probability a hymn that was sung in the temple uh, because going right through this particular hymn is a refrain and God saw that it was good and God saw that it was good. Listen to the Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was a wasteland and there was darkness upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved over the waters and God said let there be light and there was light God saw that light was good and God divided light from darkness God called light day and darkness he called night evening came and morning came the first day now the biblical writer is uh, not concerned with evolution or not concerned with how long it took. The biblical writer is simply saying that the universe and all that is in it came out from the mind of an intelligent God, of a God who was superior in every way. Now, is, is this too much to believe? Well, let me give you um, a simple image here for a moment. Supposing uh, you had a computer, a very sophisticated top-of-the-line computer, or if you didn't have that you have a very sophisticated, uh, we'll say, watch. Now, supposing um, I as a technician come into your house and I uh, take the computer apart bit by bit by bit by bit and stretch out all the pieces of the computer on a table, or all the, all the parts of the watch on the table, and then um, I say to you, I'll be back tomorrow to reassemble it again. Now, just for the sake of this image here, uh, supposing you have a Rottweiler and a Doberman, and um, these two uh, animals uh, sleep in the room uh, where all these computer parts are stretched out on a table. And also suppose that you have an alarm system on your house, so you have a high-powered, sophisticated alarm, um, you know, protecting your house. Now, that night you go to bed, the two dogs lay down in the room where the computer parts are stretched out on the table, and the next morning you come in, and lo and behold, um, the computer is completely reassembled. Well... What do you think? Now, nobody broke into your house because the alarm system uh, would have gone off, and here you have uh, two ferocious dogs uh, who would have torn anybody to pieces. So how did the computer get back together again? And if you went out around the town and said it all happened by chance, well, they'd all think you were uh, not just a little bit nuts, but fully nuts. You know, elevator in the brain hotel broken down, you know, completely, completely. Well, uh, many people then uh, look at the universe and it has design, there's laws of nature, uh, there's laws governing the planets. Uh, it just has order and design to it. And yet they turn around 
and they try to say to us that this all got together by chance. And then they also turn around and say, uh, you and I uh, emerged out of a primal soup, uh, out of a primal slime. And, um, you know, could, could, could a primal slime produce something, someone as magnificent as you and I? And, you know, and where did the primal soup and slime come from? Or those uh, scientists, and I don't question it, uh, they say that the universe as we know today started with a big bang. But where did the primal matter come from? So the biblical writer uh, is simply saying that the universe, all of it, everything was started by God who called everything into existence out of nothing. And then in the biblical story, which as I said is a poem, uh, it's deliberately fitted into seven days. Um, and on the sixth day, here's what it says. God said, let us make man in our own image, in the likeness of ourselves, and let them be masters of the fish of the sea, the birds of, the he of heaven, the cattle, and all the wild beasts and all the reptiles that crawl upon the earth. God created man in the image of himself. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, saying to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and conquer it. Be masters of the sea, the birds of the air, and all living animals on the earth. Now, it's, it's, um, that's what the Bible is proposing, that it took intelligence uh, to design you and me, just as it takes intelligence to put together a computer or a watch or a tape recorder or a radio or a TV or a pair of glasses. And the great message, of course, is that um, you and I have a master designer who took a personal interest in, uh, interest in us and created us in his own image and in his own likeness. I'd like to take you now to uh, the 139th Psalm. This happens to be my own favorite psalm, and um, it's kind of awesome. It starts off with, O oh God, ye examine me and you know me. Now, what it's saying here to you and me is that even as you're listening to this program, God is examining you, and he knows you. He's looking at you at this very moment. You know if I'm standing or sitting. I happen to be sitting at the moment and speaking into a microphone. You know if I'm standing or sitting. You read my thoughts from far away. Now, you can't read my thoughts, but God can. Whether I walk or lie down, you are watching. You know every detail of my conduct. Every detail. Everything I've ever done. You know about it. The word is not even on my tongue, Lord God, before you know all about it. Close behind and close in front, you fence me round, shielding me with your hand. Such knowledge is beyond my understanding, a height to which my mind cannot attain. Isn't it extraordinary what the biblical writer is saying, that God knows the next word that you're going to speak, even if that's a swear word. Uh, God knows about it long before you even thought about uttering it. Then he goes on and he says, okay, so where can I escape from your spirit? Where can I get away from God? Where could I go to escape your spirit? 
Where could I flee from your presence? If I climb the heavens, you are there. There too, if I go under the ground into the shadowy underworld. If I flew to the point of sunrise or westward across the sea, your hand would still be guiding me, your right hand holding me. Supposing you said, I will ask the darkness to cover me and light to become night around me. That darkness would not be dark to you. Night would be as light as day. It was you who created my inmost self and put me together in my mother's womb. For all these mysteries I thank you, for the wonder of myself, for the wonder of your works. You know me through and through from having watched my bones take shape when I was being formed in secret, knitted together in the limbo of the womb. You had scrutinized my every action, all were recorded in your book, my days listed and determined, even before the first of them occurred. He's even telling us that God knows, even now at this second, the exact moment of your death and mine. Now, in case you want to look and study that for yourself, it's Psalm 139. And it's kind of awesome that the message is, at every second of every day, we are in the presence of God, who knows us, who loves us, and who cares for us. It's hard to believe, isn't it? And yet that's the faith of the Church, and that's the faith of our fathers. Now there's another passage in the New Testament, and it, it, this time Jesus, the teacher come from God, is talking, and he, he asks us to do something. He says, um, Look at the birds in the sky. Now, go out if you want to and look at them, the mockingbirds and the uh, cattle egrets and the crows and the turkey vultures and the bald eagles. Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they are? Can any of you for all his worrying, add one single cubit to his span of life. And why worry about clothing? Think of the flowers growing in the fields. They never have to work or spin. Yet I assure you that not even Solomon in all his glory was robed like one of these. Now, if that is how God clothes the grass in the field, which is there today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, will he not much more look after you? you men of little faith. So do not worry. Do not say, what are we to eat and what are we to drink and how are we to be clothed? It is the pagans who set their hearts on all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then he says something that I suppose maybe most people ignore, even believers in God and Christians. He said, set your hearts on his kingdom first and on his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. So the basic message of today's section that I'm trying to put in front of you is that God created you. God knows every single detail of your conduct, even in what you're thinking about at this moment. And he also knows about what you will do tomorrow. And he loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. I realize that it is awfully difficult to believe, but it's either true or it's not.
Now, I know it's hard for us to believe these things because we as humans experience ourselves as being kind of split. You know, we're like uh, split personalities. Uh, we're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'll tell you a little story that's not true. Uh, when I came to Queen of Peace Church first as its pastor uh, a little over ten years ago, I stood in the pulpit and I said to them, to the people, I said to them, uh, in preparation for being your pastor, I went to see a psychiatrist. I said, anybody who'd be a priest uh, nowadays needs their head examined. And of course, at this stage, they were looking at me rather weird, you know. And who is this guy, really? And uh, so... I said, the psychiatrist examined me for an hour, and at the end of the hour, uh, he said to me, Father, I hate to tell you this, but you've got a split personality. There's two of you. And then he charged me $80 each. So at that stage, everybody laughed. But you know, uh, even though it was a story, I was kind of telling the truth. You see, we are kind of split. On the one hand, uh, we are the children of the all-holy God. On the other hand, we can turn round and we can kill one another. Do you ever notice that, uh, well, maybe you haven't, but in, in all of the world religions, um, the dragon shows up. Now, there's no such thing as a dragon, yet it shows up in the Hindu scriptures, the Buddhist scriptures, uh, the Muslim scriptures. It shows up in the Jewish Christian scriptures. Now, why is this? Well, the dragon actually is a symbol of us humans in many ways. See, a dragon is a winged serpent. And that, in a way, is what we are. On the one hand, we can fly through the air. We can do the most wonderful things. And yet we can turn round and we can kill one another. Extraordinary, isn't it? There is a poem called A Kind of Prayer. It's a poem by Cyril Egan. And it's about the search for God. It is about a man who is forever looking for something. One day, someone asked him what he is looking for. I'm looking for God, he replied, adding quickly, don't tell me I'll find him in my heart. Though in a sense, that's true. And don't tell me I'll find him in my fellow men. Though in a sense, that's true too. What I'm looking for is a God making a five-sense breakthrough to humanity. He is looking for a God whom he can touch and see and feel. In other words, an experience of God. How seldom, if ever, do we preach on the problem of unbelief? Did, did Jesus have problems believing in God when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And yet people are constantly coming to us with serious doubts about the existence of God. We must surely have some message for them. I know of one instance where a woman troubled with problems of faith came to a priest and asked him desperately if there was anything she could do. His reply surprised her. There is, he said. How about trying to love your neighbor a little bit better, in deeds rather than words? Put your heart into it. His advice ties in with John's words. This is 1 John 4, verse 7. Whoever loves knows God. And there's also another um, Irish playwright teacher. 
uh, Padraig Pierce, in one of his plays, he tells the story of Macdara, the singer, who returns home and tells his old school teacher that he has lost his faith. He no longer believes in a god. And he says to him, Once as I knelt by the cross of Kilgobbin, it became clear to me with an awful clearness that there was no God. Why pray after that? I burst into a fit of laughter at the folly of men in thinking that there is a God. I felt inclined to run to the villages and cry aloud, People, it is all a mistake. There is no God. And I said, Well, why take away their illusion? If they find out that there is no God, their hearts will be as lonely as mine. So I walked the roads with my secret. To which his old teacher replied, Magdara, I'm sorry for you. You must pray. You must pray. You will find God again. He has only hidden his face from you. No, said Magdara, he has revealed his face to me. The people, my dear teacher, the people, the suffering, the dumb people. In them I saw or seemed to see again the face of God. In the people and his concern that his unbelief might disturb their simple faith, Magdara rediscovered the face of God. Now, tiny little story, silly little thing really, but I'll put it in front of you. Um, in the, I was in the second grade, um, been taught by the nuns, the Sisters of Mercy. The Sisters of Mercy, I hope you meet them, says the singer Leonard Cohen. And he was talking about the street women. But anyway, these were other kind of sisters, the Sisters of Mercy, the nuns. And one day in class, the nun said, um, Jesus was everywhere. So I was looking up my sleeve and under the desk, and I was being told to sit up straight in my seat at the same time. But I wanted to see this Jesus that was everywhere. So I went home that day and I said to my mother, uh, sister said that Jesus was everywhere. So she gave those very typical answer, if sister says it, then it's true. And so I says to her, well, I want to touch Jesus. And she said, and I'll never forget this, she said, touch me. Now, isn't that extraordinary? You want to meet God? You'll meet him in our touching one another. Okay. Um, while that's all very fine, I want to tell you another simple story about touching God. The same woman, my mother, uh, as I mentioned in an earlier tape, she had 11 children. And we weren't, uh, we didn't know we were poor, and we certainly weren't poor by the standards of other people. But in the... Um, early 50s, uh, my father's sister used to send clothes to my mother from America, and there was great excitement when the clothes arrived from the United States, and smelling of camphor. And so we'd be standing around watching this box being opened like bees around a cask of beer, and as the clothes were opened, etc., etc., um, we would, you know, be hoping for some of them ourselves. However, I noticed that um, within a day or two after every parcel of clothes arrived from America, I would see inside the front door another smaller brown box. And I didn't open it because you didn't do stuff like that. 
So I said to my mother, uh, Mom, what's that um, box doing uh, in, the, um, in the hallway? And she said, that's some clothes for Mrs. Lonergan. Now, Mrs. Lonergan and her seven kids lived outside the town, and they were much, much poorer than we were. But here was my mother, in her own right, a poor woman, sharing what she had with somebody else. So not alone did she uh, teach me that uh, we touch God by touching one another and by touching the poor and the lonely and the broken, um, she lived it out. Uh, she, uh, she reached out to the poor in our own town. And one last thing. Oh, oh by the way, was she right? The theologians would say... Uh, you know, well, you know, that's all very nice and fanciful. Well, listen to what the great Jesus had to say. He said that when he comes back again at the end of time, that the nations of the earth will be assembled in front of him, and they will be divided into uh, two groups, like Democrats and Republicans, like sheep from goats. And he will say to those on his right, Come, blessed of my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison, and you came to visit me. And these people will speak up, and they will say, When did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink, and naked, and clothe you, and sick, and in prison, and come to visit you? And he will say to them, I solemnly assure you, as long as you did it to the least of the brethren, you did it to me. Well, thank you for listening to Burning Hearts, a Bible study for atheists, agnostics, for unbelievers. My name is Patrick J. O'Doherty. Faith Bit Radio and the Dice of Orlando presented Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Doherty. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.